0: You're listening to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe, the European Association for Solar Power. Join us as we shine a light on the latest developments in the solar sector. Hello and welcome to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe. I'm your host, Lucas Clark Memmler, and today I'm looking forward to talking with Pedro amaral Jorge, CEO of the Portuguese Renewable Energy Association. Thanks for joining us today, Pedro.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: And can I ask where you're calling in from today?
1: I'm calling in from Lisbon on a lockdown situation. And because I have all of my team working remotely and there is no one in the office, from time to time I come to the office and today that's the case. I drove early this morning with my
0: authorization to drive, legally approved, and I'm working from the office. Okay, that's that's great. That's good to hear. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and about the mission of your association?
1: Okay, so I'm 51 years old. By graduation, I'm a mechanical engineer with a degree on thermodynamics. I took an MBA in finance and operations from yes, the Spanish school. I have a daughter. I have a couple of hobbies, uh, curious enough, I like financial markets and psychology. And I usually play tennis all over the week and I play guitar with my friends and I try to spend the little time I have left with my family and friends. So having said that, regarding my career or my previous roles in a nutshell, my last job was with AFDB, the African Development Bank in Africa. I stood there for almost a year and a half and I was working as a private sector expert on financing and developing projects on water and sanitation, basically, but also with a length in energy. I also worked in several utilities. So it is funny, my career, because in 94, when I left college, the most environmental friendly thing that was around was natural gas, infrastructure and development. So I started natural gas and I worked only natural gas until 2005, six. And then in 2006, end of six, seven, I went into renewable energy. And I worked in renewable energy for two, three years. And then I went into water and sanitation, but I continue to work on renewable energy because I, I'm an equity partner on a consultancy firm. And we used to work for multilateral banking on renewable energy projects, basically solar and wind and hydro. Just to finish, I, I set up a couple of companies around the world, one in Brazil, one in Portugal, some in Africa. I have more or less 20 years experience on top management positions, and I worked, as I mentioned, for AFDB, also for Mitsubishi, and for some of the largest Iberian contractors such as Mot Engel and Sassir for the past 20 to 25 years. And basically, in a nutshell, that's what I've been doing so far. Regarding our mission here, and uh, I was still in Africa when I was invited to join the board of APREN, APREN uh, is the Portugal's Renewable Energy Association, as you mentioned, Lucas, and it's a non-profit association. It was founded in 1988 and with a mission to coordinate the representation and defend the common interests of renewable energy and their associates on the renewable energy targets. Curious enough, we because Portugal is a very small country, we try to increase our scale of influence by gathering all of the technologies in the association. So we have hydro, wind, and solar, PV, uh, basically, but CSP might come into play in a couple of years. And our members are either single or collective entities, uh, which are legally allowed to produce uh, renewable electricity. And curious enough, we represent 92% of the installed renewable power in Portugal. So from the 15 gigawatts of renewable power that we have installed, I would say that 14.5% are members of a plan, And this association, which I'm honored to lead, and I was handed over by the previous president, has done a tremendous work for the past 20 years. And I hope it will continue to do so and have a, a very important impact on the development of the renewable electricity market in Portugal. We also develop with official authorities, uh, the positioning papers, we comment policy, And the largest engagement we have today is to make sure that in alignment with the European Commission and European Green Deal, we reach the targets that we committed to on the national energy and climate plans for 2030, and that we do everything in our power to actually make this energy transition happen.
0: Excellent. Well, it sounds like you have your hands full, Pedro. It sounds like you're a busy man. Uh, Why don't we talk a little bit about solar in Portugal? 2019, I know, was a big year for solar. And there was a launch of the new tendering scheme, as well as the record for the lowest solar tender in the EU. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about 2019, as well as looking ahead to the outlook for solar in Portugal in the coming years. We
1: had a bottleneck in terms of awarding
0: uh, grid capacity to the majority of
1: the PV developers. And so the solution that the government came up with was actually tender, the grid capacity on an auction. And we had an auction last July, as you correctly mentioned. And we tried that model. It was a new model, which you have two modalities, basically. You could apply for a feed-in tariff or you could apply for a market uh, grid connection, but you had to have a contribution to the system. So, in a nutshell, we actually recorded historical price offers. As we were mentioned in the press all over the world, we got 14.76 euros per megawatt hour as the lowest tariff. But it's important to understand that the Portuguese context at the time and to make like a critical analysis of the values achieved, we need to understand that there is excess liquidity in Europe at the time. We are talking this a year ago, more or less. We were in a market of negative interest rates and we need to be sure that we take the right conclusions when that price comes so low of course levelized cost of electricity uh, from solar is being highly competitive but when we have an average of 22 in portugal means that we are below 50 uh, percent of the average daily prices on the wholesale market of electricity so it was a huge victory for photovoltaics. It was a huge victory for Portugal. And it was a huge victory for renewables because we are below conventional electricity market price on the blended mix. But basically due to the high ambition of the National Energy Climate Plan for Portugal, people looked at the amount of power that needs to be installed. And they also looked at the scarcity of the grid capacity. And so putting all of these variables together Excess of liquidity, negative interest rates, a lot of players coming into the market to finance it that were not usually on the energy sector, especially on the renewables and the scarcity of the grid. It actually generated those results that we are very happy for it and that we hope that they will come into generation on the timeline that was actually stated on the auction process. So just to give you an overlook of the some strategic guidelines and to understand the historic prices, as I mentioned before, two other variables that are important is that once you get the production license, it goes forever until you change technology. And all of this put together created what we think it was a record in terms of the average for Europe of the levelized cost of electricity for solar. And as I mentioned before, let's hope that the next auction that comes uh, will have the same interest, which I believe it will. But it was a huge victory, the, the one that we achieved in 2019. Looking at the future ahead, it has already been announced that a new auction will take place. We are thinking about 800 megawatts, more or less, in the south of the country. Of course, this was forecasted or predicted before COVID-19 came into the play. I think the auctions will take place this year. I have no doubt about it. But we need to understand the market conditions after COVID 19 in terms of the supply chain, in terms of the EPC, turnkey contractors, in terms of the liquidity for the projects, and see if this new context will also bring the proper value for the levelized cost of electricity we need to achieve, or if it gets blurred if all the variables are not properly understood and uh, adequately calculated.
0: Well, that's a huge success in Portugal, so well done for that. Thank you very much. So perhaps we could talk about Portugal's new regulation on self-consumption and the outlook on self-consumption and small-scale PV in general.
1: Well, actually, the the very first beginning of small-scale self-consumption market for PV in Portugal was around 2007-8. I was involved at the market at that time with a small, what we called micro-generation, which you could install 3.48 kilowatts power station, then you could sell electricity to the grid, and when you want it, you could also do self-consumption. But in terms of the new regulation, it was a need for an update, and the government took advantage in order to incorporate already some of the Clean Energy Package for our European guidelines. Basically, on the consumer role as prosumer and an active market agent, which will introduce new entities, and also because of the energy community and also the collective self-consumers. What we understand so far is that the impact of the new regulation is not yet clear, but The good thing is it opens a wide range of opportunities for small-scale PV and allowing to develop self-consumption collective projects and energy communities with any strict limits on capacity and distance limits. So this brings also new business models, increases the participation of citizenship on the energy transition. So we find that to be a very good option to have made published this new regulation, although, as we are all aware, it's going to need some streamlining and actually to be adequate in terms of technical regulation to be implemented. In terms of uh, the future of decentralized PV, what we have stated on the National Energy Climate Plan for 2030 is that we should arrive at more or less two gigawatt by 2030. And when we designed the carbon neutrality path, For 2050, we arrive on more or less 12 to 14 gigawatts of uh, PV decentralized, which at the time, according to the current forecast, it will represent 50% of all installed PV in in Portugal. So I believe this is a very robust ambition that we support and we we work for it every day. And uh, more or less, we need to predict that uh, the next year will be fundamental. And we need to understand and identify uh, how this new regulation is going to incentivize, decentralize, and now it's going to penalize it. And work, of course, with the government together to actually make it work the way that it was designed on the directive for renewable energy and with the creation
0: of collective self-consumers and also the energy communities. Definitely. Now, Let's move on to the news of the day and talk a little bit about the COVID-19 crisis. Can you tell us how the current crisis has impacted solar deployment in Portugal? I'm going to give you an introduction and then I'll, I'll try to explain
1: you more or less what happened. So Portugal declared the state of emergency on March 18. We were watching the spread of the disease since it actually affected intensively Italy. And then the Portuguese government was really alert. And this started to anticipate the the lockdown. So on the 18th of March, as I mentioned, Portugal declared by the president the state of emergency. And so retail and all provision services that are not related to essential goods are closed. We are still under the emergency declaration. And we need to adopt mandatory working regime with teleworking, remote working, for every, let's say, role of the society that allows it. On a particular plan, I actually told my team to go home on March the 12th. And so when the state of emergency was declared, I already had my team completely working remotely because my last trip was to Amsterdam on the 11th of March. And I was concerned that if I was infected, I didn't want anyone else to get it. So I told people to go and work from home, which actually we are being equally productive. So almost every activity is stopping. Our land uh, borders are closed only open for transportation of as i mentioned before essential goods and given the the situation all over europe trading is being completely affected so we are not missing or have scarcity of essential goods but a lot of things are stopped in what concerns the development of the projects is being affected in every scale We expect the state of emergency to come to an end on May the 2nd. Let's hope so. We are waiting for a public communication from the government. But what we already know is that a lot of restriction measures will be imposed although the emergency state comes to an end. So, in the electrical sector, and basically on PV, the government has suspended all deadlines and all administrative procedures by dispatch and by law. And they established two basic things. So, they suspended the procedural deadlines regulated by legislation, including the deadlines for the practice of the acts and formalities that the director of energy needs to attend. So basically it stopped. And also the submission of new requests, is it is suspended for new projects, for all, all renewable projects, PV included. And so permit and licensing and the establishment of the network infrastructure also stopped. On 27th of March, we had an online public session that was held by the Secretary of State himself, where it was reinforced, what we previously discussed. So an auction will take place in 2020 for 800 megawatts of PV. And uh, at the end, the message was that the auction will take place when the market allows it. And as we just mentioned five minutes ago, all the value chain of PV and other technologies needs to come to, uh, let's say, predictable stage. So we can actually calculate reasonable levelized cost of electricity and not that they are completely affected by uncertainty. So basically, all main project development activities for the renewable electricity sector are suspended and there is no prediction of its end. We will know that the emergency state will come to an end on the 3rd of May. And from then onwards, we hope that new regulations will be published And letting us know how we can actually go back to work, not on the assets that are already operating, but the ones that need project development for them to happen.
0: And in in terms of that delay, just thinking about a green recovery, because this also, I think, addresses my next question, uh, because you're talking about how to transition out of this post-COVID crisis period and make sure that we don't lose momentum on solar deployment I'm wondering if you can address what Portugal or, you know, perhaps more widely, what the EU needs to do now to ensure that a economic recovery package will also accelerate the uh, green deal and the, the green transition. Well, as we all know, and my background in
1: finance always takes me to the point that for all of this to happen, we need money or forms of money, cash, equity, debt, bonds, whatever. And we know, we need to be aware that Portugal, as it happened also in Italy and Spain, but Portugal and Greece were more affected with the 2008 crisis. And we were intervened by the IMF. And so our public accounts were recovering at a very good pace, but they were not on the condition that we can go into the market and raise tons of debt to deal with the problem. That will not happen. What I see... And what I hope for are two different things. What I see is that we need to bring liquidity into the markets. And the energy transition and the Green Deal approach to a new society with an economy that will grow, reducing carbonization or increasing decarbonization is the smart way to actually generate a new economic wave we will be able to compete with other countries and we will have an internal market that will allow us to gain the minimum scale that we need to actually then make this broadly used. So what I hope from the Green Deal is that in terms of the recovery package, we are going to need funds that can be used not only as debt, but also as other forms of equity. For this to happen without companies, being even more in debt than they were prior to COVID-19. And we are not talking about the promoters which do project structures like project finance or corporate bonds. We are talking about the smaller scale economy that needs to generate jobs to actually help all of the situation to go together because we can't leave people behind. People are huge taxpayers. Taxes are needed for the countries to renegotiate their debt. So... All of this needs to work very harmonically for us to see a future where this is going for. I think the Green Deal now gains even a greater relevance than before. Green Deal was very important prior to COVID-19, and I think it's more important after COVID-19. And I think it might be one of the most important drivers for the economic recovery from the point of recession that we are at the moment. The plan is good, but as I mentioned before, it needs financing. If financing is there and finance in adequate form for this to happen with a healthy, economical and social growth, I think renewable electricity will play a central role in the decarbonization. It will be the most important sector for the next 10 years. And also it can generate so much investment capture and job creation and deployment of wealth that we hope that this gets the attention of the European Commission as a whole to create the financial tools that will allow for the country's economy and social development, of course with environmental protection, to work as we foreseen it
0: previously. And as a final question, do you have any message that you would like to send to Europeans listening at home? Well, I think the message, I'm not the author of it, but I think
1: uh, Noah Harari the the gentleman that wrote Homo Sapiens said that we are going to pass this crisis and we'll continue as a civilization. I think we'll continue on a different mental scheme of how we see the world. But until that happens, I would like to pass a message of hope and for people to be patient, running into the pandemic without certainty that people will be safe And that there is a mechanism to to actually bring people to work at a steady pace without increasing the risk of spraying the disease at a higher pace. This is basically what I think Europeans should uh, listen to. If the European Commission creates a recovery plan that will involve all society, states, people, companies, corporates, and we look at this as a way for all of us to get out of this without leaving anyone behind, I think Europeans should be patient and have hope that we are going to survive this and become
0: stronger on the other side. Well, that's great to end on a place of hope. I'd like to thank you, Pedro, for your time. And I know it's been very informative for me and our listeners. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and look forward to hear from you again. This is the final episode in our Solar in the Time of COVID-19 series. For more information on our coverage of the virus and green economic recovery, visit solarpowereurope.org. The next podcast series will look at our new study conducted with LUT University. It's called 100% Renewable Europe. How to Make Europe's Energy System Climate Neutral Before 2050. I will be talking with policymakers, scientists, and industry experts to explore a vision of a future Europe entirely powered by solar and renewables. Stay tuned for future episodes. And until next time, shine on.